0: I don't know where you're at this morning, as far as how you came in uh, to church this morning, like what state of, of being you're in, whether you're kind of revisiting church again for the first time in, in a while, or whether you are uh, somebody who's been here for some time, or whatever the case may be. But uh, I, I wanna assure you this morning that on any level for you to be received by God, for you to receive His grace. Uh, it is all because of Him and it's not because of you. You can't come in here this morning and, and, and believe that you can clean yourself up. What you can hear is you can hear the words of grace. And I think we see the words of grace in the midst of the story that we're gonna tell this morning from the scriptures. I, uh, I don't know how, how uh, your relationships have gone um, with other people but perhaps you've had a relationship where you feel like you have cratered it or like you destroyed it on some level all of us to some degree or another have felt like 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 I, i've i've done it this time I remember a good friend of mine that I got really upset with I was actually working for him and I uh, got really mad because he uh, didn't do what I wanted him to do he was a friend I was working for him and and uh, one day I got on the phone and I just cussed him out, one side, up one side and down the other. This was a few years ago. Um, but, uh, but cussed him out one side and down the other and, and said, uh, you know, whatever, and I broke off the relationship. And the, the, the fear that entered my mind as I calmed down and I realized that I had completely cratered my relationship with my good friend was, will, will I ever be able to restore this again? Will I ever be able to, Uh, make things right with somebody that i had really hurt, that i had really hurt. And as a guy, that's hard to talk about and to tear up and stuff like that. Uh, But in any case, um, yeah, I mean, have you had that feeling before where you're like, man, I I just don't know. I don't know. Well, sometimes we come to God that way. We come to God and we feel like, I don't know that I can restore relationship with you. I don't know that I can make things right with you. I don't know that I, can, that I can patch things up in this way. And so sometimes we try, and sometimes we just feel so devastated by our sin, and we feel so um, despondent about how we've acted or what, or what we've done that ultimately what ends up happening is sometimes we just walk away and we don't come back. And maybe it's because the, uh, the church has hurt you or maybe it's because of something you have done, or, or, or some way that somebody had acted, or, or what have you, but we, we want restoration, and what's amazing about God is that He shows us such amazing redemption, and such amazing restoration through this passage, that I, I think it is, is really cool. If you remember uh, last week, and really, many of the prior weeks uh, one of the things that you've seen is that there's been this patriarch and his name is abraham and abraham was called out of ur he was a pagan and god called him to be a a, a follower of yahweh god's name is yahweh and so uh, abraham became a follower of yahweh and god gave him these amazing promises and he ultimately said i'm going to make you a great nation And you're gonna be blessed in order to be a blessing to the nations and I'm gonna give you a land and a people they're gonna be as the the dust of the earth meaning many 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 descendants and and so he gave this promise to Abraham and then finally that promise kind of began to be fulfilled in his son Isaac and so Isaac comes along and now Isaac is the new patriarch and the promises and everything get passed on to Isaac and then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau have been the ones that we've been talking about, what we talked about last week. And so uh, here's Jacob and Esau, and Jacob is really this unlikable guy who really is just kind of a conniving cheat. And so he cheats his brother out of his birthright uh, when his brother Esau was in the midst of a difficult circumstance. He had just gotten back from hunting and was very hungry, and he, he had some stew, and Esau was like, Uh, give me some of that stew, and Jacob says, well, give me your birthright, and Esau was so hungry, but really so led by his his desires and so led by his stomach that he said, okay, fine, take my birthright, and so really, Jacob used this situation to take advantage of his brother, and then further, last week, we talked about Jacob and, and Esau and how Jacob stole his brother's blessing. As the firstborn, Esau deserved the blessing And Jacob, through the help of his mother, uh, stole the blessing. And really what that means is it's like the inheritance. And it really is a godly blessing as well. And there really is only one. He had given, and Abraham gave Jacob everything uh, in in that moment. And so we left that story uh, last week as there was just this great fear. And here is Jacob who uh, now Esau wants to kill and so uh, mom and dad, Isaac and Rebekah, send Jacob off on a trip. And so they say, I want you to go see uh, Uncle Laban. And uh, Uncle Laban lives in, in Haran, or Paddan Aram, which it's also called, and I think that's what, the way that our text refers to it. But Haran is where Abraham had stopped on the way from Ur. And so, uh, so he, they send Jacob to, uh, to Haran to go to Uncle Laban because they want him to find a wife from their own family, so which sounds kind of weird in our day and age, but it's, it's from their own people is really how we'd want to say that. And so Jacob uh, goes on this trip. Esau uh, decides he's going to try to take another wife, so he takes a third wife, one that would put potentially please his father, and, and really just making things even more complicated. So that's the first part of chapter 28 there. We're going to pick it up in verse 10. I'll read through uh, chapter 28, and then we'll pick it up again here. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, And will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning... Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it He called the name of that place Bethel But the name of that city was Luz at the first Then Jacob made a vow saying if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go And will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Now, one of the things that we've talked about periodically is that this story isn't isn't just written to us. Americans like to read the Bible and say, what's God saying to me? But the first question we have to ask is that we have to ask, what's this passage of Scripture saying to the intended recipient. And so the intended re- recipients are Israel, the, the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel comes from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, and so Jacob is really the father of Israel, and Abraham maybe the godfather or what have you, but Jacob is uh, the the father of Israel. His name again gets changed to Israel. And so Israel is perhaps in many different situations. We don't know when they received this text. We believe Moses wrote this, their leader during that time. But they received this text, and they're looking back over the history of their family. And they're seeing what has taken place over this time. And they're seeing what God has been doing there. And maybe Israel is in difficult circumstances. Maybe it's been in the midst of their sin and now they're in exile, meaning God removes them from their land because he has told them, if you keep sinning against me, I'm going to remove you from this land and I'm going to move you over here to Babylon where you're going to be abused and, and whatnot until you learn to come back to me kind of a deal. It could be that they were in the midst of all kinds of circumstances, where they were in the midst of all kinds of trouble, where enemies were coming after them. There's any number of situations that this uh, could have come to to them in. But imagine for a minute that you are Israel and all of the promises of Jacob slash Israel are being extended to you. And so these are promises uh, to Israel as well. And so what they're hearing is they're hearing, some, they're hearing some promises from God in the midst of their circumstances. If you look back at the first verse there, verse 10, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. What we see is this, is that we see this guy Jacob, and here he is after he has just lied not once, not twice, but three times to his father. He has lied three times in a row. And the third time he invoked, I believe it was the third time, second or third time, he invoked God at the same time. And so he commits blasphemy in the midst of this. And what does he do? He, he steals, he, he lies to his father, he steals this blessing. Now Esau wants to murder him. And the thing that he wanted most, the thing that he was going after, the ambition that he was trying to get uh, a hold of, the, the things in his life, how he wanted to secure for himself an inheritance and a blessing. All of the efforts that he was putting in to his life, try, trying to control circumstances, not being dependent on God, but trying to do this in a nefarious way and an unrighteous way, here he is... And he's on his way to Haran. Think about what's going through Jacob's mind. The thing that he wanted most is the thing that he does not get at all. And in fact, instead of actually receiving the inheritance, one commentator even surmised that Jacob never actually receives the inheritance of his father because he ends up being banished for 20 years away from his family. His mom loses him. His dad loses him. And he's on his own and alone alone. And so he never even receives that. So here he is. He's a liar. He's a cheat. He's a calloused person. And you've got to wonder what was going through Jacob's mind as he's kind of wandering in the desert, going to Uncle Laban's house. And he's thinking to himself, look at the mess that I've made of my life. Look at what I have done in the midst of this. Think about Israel for a second. Israel's got to be thinking, man, look at, look at Jacob. Maybe we feel like Jacob. Jacob. We feel like Jacob because that's kind of what we have done to God or to others or what have you. So maybe Israel's thinking the same thing, but we can extend it. We can take it a step further. We can say, have we all felt this way? Have we felt like we've dashed our relationships to bits? There's Something has happened in our life where we have been disconnected from God. Or maybe we didn't know God before, but we know that we have cratered our relationships and we've created problems and so here he is in the midst of the desert. And I, and I wonder sometimes if Jacob might have been sitting there saying, God, are you still there? God, are you still there? With me and my friend that I had cussed out on the phone. Are we still friends? Are we still, are we, can we ever restore this relationship? But I think Jacob may have been asking when he's all alone, and he's walking towards her, Uncle Laban's house. He doesn't even know these people. And he's saying, God, are you still there, I believe? And so he ends up here on his way toward Haran, and he comes to a certain place. I want you to notice something from the text, that it says the word place three times. And he came to, the, to a certain place, and he stayed there that night because, uh, because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Now, here, here he is. It's uh, it's getting dark and Jacob as we've stated in the past was kind of the mama's boy Esau is the guy that is kind of rough and tumble I mean he's a little bit more like a, you know, he's a logger from or Oregon, you know I mean he's he's one of those guys. He's fine out in the woods It's it's no no problem for Esau, but Jacob is a mama's boy As I said if Isaac and Rebecca had a basement Jacob would have been living in it at this point So here he is ripped out of that environment and he's walking in the dead of night And he finally comes to this place and he lays down and he finds a rock and it's in this place and it's in this place and it's in this place and what is this place? Why does the narrator keep saying this? Well, we find out at the end that he names the place Bethel and this is after Abraham, of course, but in uh, Genesis chapter 13, if you remember this story from a while ago, each one of these patriarchs we have seen um, have been sinful people. Abraham one of the first sins that he commits that we see in scripture is the fact that he goes to Egypt and instead of saying, "Yeah, Sarai is my wife, her name was Sarai at the time, it later becomes Sarah." But uh, yeah, Sarah, she's my, my sister. She's my sister. And he keeps saying that he's that she is my sister and she's a looker. I mean, she's a she's a hottie, at however old however uh, whatever age she was at that point. But it, it, you know, he says that and the Pharaoh says, good enough for me, she's coming into my harem, brings her into his house, and he lies to Pharaoh. Pharaoh finds this out and then kicks him out, and it's this devastating experience. Because here's Abraham, and he's left uh, what God has called him to do, and he gets hungry because there's a famine in the land, and so he leaves and he goes to, he goes to Egypt, and then Pharaoh finds him out, kicks him out, says, get out of here. And so what takes place It says in chapter 13, verse 3 and 4 of Genesis, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. And what we had talked about was this, is that Abraham had been here before. He had been at this place between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And so Abram, here he goes, he turns from his sin. He realized, I have sinned. And so he comes back to where he was at first. And what we said at that time is sometimes we need to come back to where we were at first. We need to come back to this place where God is because this word Bethel, the name of this city is house of God or sanctuary of God. And so Abraham comes back to this place and here we have his grandson, Jacob, who's in a similar situation and we come to find out that he is the one who names the place Bethel and it's backdated in chapter 13, we believe but he comes to this place, he comes to this place called the house of God. And it's like, it's like the author of this passage is trying to show us something, that God brings him to the house of God. That God brings him to his sanctuary. In a sense, to be confronted with his sin, but more importantly, to be confronted with who God actually is to see who he is because here's the thing when you and I are in sin when you and I have broken relationships when you and I have cratered our life what we don't see what we don't understand is who God actually is because the 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 thing is is that we avoid God we avoid God's people we avoid getting too deep with others. We avoid those things because of this great fear of what we believe God is, is that God is going to get me. Or God doesn't want anything to do with me. Or God, you, you shouldn't ever save me because I've messed up too royally. But he ends up in the house of God anyway because God brings him to this place. It's not a... It's not a a building. It's not anything. It's a place that's named House of God. And so he ends up there. And he has this really funky dream. Uh, It's called a ladder here, but it could also be called a stairway, like stairway to heaven. You know, don't think about that song. And so uh, it says, and he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, if you're like me, when you hear the story, you kind of go, it just seems kind of strange. It's like, what does this even mean? What is this even talking about? Well, in their day, one of the things that they'd be seeing is they'd be seeing the communication of God. They'd be seeing these angels who represent God, who come down from God. There's this idea that God is disconnected and far away from us. It's called deism. It's like God created all things, and then he let it be, and he walked away and said, whatever happens, happens. Here we go. But that's not what God is saying. God is intricately involved in the lives of humans. God is intricately involved in his creation. And he's showing us this through these angels who are ascending and descending. Sidney Gradenus, a great commentator on this, says heaven and earth are not separate worlds. The latter links heaven and earth, and God's angels are ascending and descending on it. Angels or messengers descended to embark on their errands throughout the earth and ascended when returning with reports. It means divine presence and mediation. It means divine communication. I mean, it's this whole idea of this connection with God. And so here is Jacob, and he's seeing this vision as he dreams. And what's going on here? What's going on here? Well, John 1, chapter 1, verse 47 through 51, tells us a little story. Jesus comes up to this guy, Nathanael, and he says this. He says, uh, Behold, an Israelite, so somebody from the family of Jacob, indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now, why would Jesus say that? Well, because Jacob is known as a deceiver. He's known as somebody who lies. And so Jesus looks at this guy, Nathaniel, and he says, Look at this guy. He's... He's he's an Israelite, but in in him is no deceit. Now, why does he say that? We don't know. Perhaps he's reminding us of something, which I think he is. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, listen, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what does that mean? Jesus, in the New Testament, looks back to this story of Jacob. He reminds us of that By talking about, here is this Israelite in whom there is no deceit, not like Jacob. And he reminds us of that story, but then he tells us something very important, and that is this, Nathanael, you're going to see amazing things because I am Jacob's ladder. I am Jacob's ladder. Now, what what does that mean? Jesus is the ladder? what, what, What could that possibly mean? Think about this for just a second. How do we have communication with God? In their day, it was ultimately that God would have to come and speak to them. They would build an altar and God would come speak to them through a prophet or through something like this. But here is Jesus saying, I am the ladder. I am the mediator between God and man, between heaven and earth. Jesus is the one. And that gives us a clue as we're here talking about how Jacob has screwed up his life royally. He's he has he has messed up his relationship relationships. He's gone after through ambition trying to get all that he could, get everything for himself that he could through lying and deceit and cheating his brother. And here he is and he's in the house of God. And God shows him something. God shows him something. There's going to be a mediator there's gonna be a mediator. And so he says in verse 13, and behold the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall All the families of the earth be blessed. Now, you can read that and you can go, oh, that's nice that God said that. But no, you got to understand the context here. God says something. God says this. He says, just like Abraham, just like Isaac, you also are receiving my grace. You also are receiving my goodness, my mercy. Now, why is that important? Jacob doesn't deserve it. Jacob doesn't deserve God's grace. Jacob doesn't deserve any of that. He's gone after all of pleasing himself, pleasing his own desires by trying to make something happen in his life. And as a result, his family is messed up. And there is absolutely no reason for God to come to him and say, Jacob, I just want to tell you something. And I don't know about you, but I might be sitting there if I was Jacob and I'm sitting here looking at this dream, just going, I don't know what this ladder means. All I know is that God and I, we're disconnected. I don't know how you feel when you have a besetting sin in your life, when you're in the midst of something where you go, I know that God doesn't agree with this. I know that this shouldn't be happening in my life. But, and I just feel like God is going to get me. And so we end up in bed at night, and we're sitting there. We've got our head on our pillow like Jacob, and we ask the question like, God, are you still there? God, do you still love me? God, do you still want me? Are your promises still true for me? And God comes down to Jacob, and he's coming down to you today, and he says, it's all true. All of it. Nothing has been taken away from you. You can't get away from my grace. It's always been of grace. You never got yourself in. You didn't get yourself in. I got you in. You can't get yourself out. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our rejection of God, in the midst of all of those things, Jesus Christ went to the cross intentionally looking ahead, knowing exactly how you would act, knowing exactly how you would sin, not just in the beginning of your life before you're a Christian, but in the middle of your Christianity, in the middle of your relationships, in the middle of your marriage, in the middle of your work, God saved you even while he knew that. And you may be sitting here this morning feeling like, I feel distant from God. I feel like I've gotta ask God, are you still there? And God's resounding answer to you, men and women, is that he is here. He is there, and that is what he promises him. What does he promise him? The same thing that he's been promising to Abraham and to Isaac. He reaffirms to him again. His promises do not change. They don't change. God doesn't one day decide, I'm going to have mercy on you, and the next day decide, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling out the mercy now. That's it. They've gone too far. God's mercy never changes. It is always of grace. It is never because of something that you've done. It's never because of your self-will that you get to be with God. It is only because of how Awesome God is. Again, Sidney Gredanus has some amazing stuff on this, and he says he receives the blessings God bestowed on the patriarchs, and it is completely God's initiative. Jacob has done absolutely nothing to deserve God's covenant promises. In fact, he's messed up badly, and yet it's all of grace. It's all of grace. It's all of grace. God is so amazingly gracious and he gives him the promise that he has given to the patriarchs but then he goes a step further look at verse 15 behold I'm with you and I will keep you wherever you go And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now think for a second about Israel here. What is Israel thinking? Man, we are the nation that is supposed to be representing God. And if if you think about Israel's history, if you know anything about it, it, that's great. If not, know this. They are God's people. And yet here they are. They joined in with the cultures that they lived with. They joined in with child sacrifice at times. They joined in with idol worship. They made the golden calf saying, this is our God. They they did this repeatedly. Now think about what Israel's thinking. We have messed up, we continue to screw up. Isn't there a point where God would say, you know what? You're really not representing my brand very well and so I think we're gonna have to move you over to, you know, whatever. God doesn't do that. What does he affirm? He says, behold, I am with you. God's great promise to you and to me is that I am with you. I will be with you. I will always be with you. See, here's the thing. You you end up in this place where you say, God, are you still there? God, are you still there? And the truth is this, is that God has always been there. God is not the one that left. And, and you didn't leave either, whether you know it or not, because you can't. God is not leaving you. I am with you. And then he goes a step further and he says, and I'm going to keep you wherever you go. Meaning keeping means this, that he's going to provide. He's going to provide for Jacob wherever he goes. He's, he's going to give him the things that he needs. He's going to provide for this patriarch. Patriarch. And God makes the same promises to us. He's going to provide our needs. It may not be what we want, but he's going to provide our needs. And we'll bring you back to this land. And ultimately what that is representing is this idea of this, this land of God that he is giving to them. The land that, that is promised to us is ultimately this e- e- eternity with Jesus forever. I'm going to bring you back to this place. I'm going to bring you back to the place where you belong. Because you and I do not belong in this world. We belong in relationship with Jesus and close communication for eternity in his kingdom. He says, I'm going to bring you back to this land. I'm going to bring you back to this place. For I will not leave you And God is saying that to Israel. I'm not going anywhere, guys. I am here. I will not leave you. And he's saying that to you. Do you know what that means? I was watching a show the other day that I really love. It's called The Prophet. P r o o f i t on CNBC. The guys in leadership are tired of me talking about it because I just love it so much. But there, there was this great story on there. And he's an investor, he goes into struggling businesses and then he, he uh, you know, gives him some money, becomes part owner and, and goes on from there. But he really mentors these uh, you know, uh, small business owners. And so he was uh, uh, talking with this young guy who had started this business. And this guy just really struggled to lead. And, you know, through the magic of television, they always have this moment where they start to cry. You know, I mean, I, I have no idea how much of this is true. It could all be made up, but it's a great story anyway. And so what he ends up doing is he ends up talking to this guy. And he finds out from this guy that he kind of feels like everybody has left him or is leaving him or is not going to have relationship with him or, or something like that. He had a business partner that left. And so he sits there and he lives in fear that you're going to leave me. And what it ends up doing to him is that he feels like like he can't make any moves because he doesn't want this guy, he doesn't want Marcus to leave him. And so he doesn't make the right moves until finally Marcus stops him and says something along the lines of, I'm not leaving you, man. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. We're in business together and nothing's changing with that. And the amazing transformation, again, it could be the miracle of TV, but... The truth is this, I think there really was something in this guy's life that was saying, I don't want to act in the way that I should as a leader because I feel like you're going to leave me. And when Marcus said, I'm not leaving you, everything changed in his business, from that perspective anyway. Do you know what it means to us when God says, I'm not leaving you? You might say, you know, I never felt like I didn't have God. You know what? You know what God does for us sometimes when we live in that type of arrogance? when we live in that type of self-assuredness, like, you know, I you know everything is just fine. God allows us to go through deep pain and anguish. God allows us to go through great sin. God allows us, God allows our sins to overtake us in some sense, so that we come to the place where we say, all right, I thought I knew God before, but now I feel like, I feel like he's gone, and I feel like he's not there, and finally when we're on our knees and we say, "I God, are you still there, and God can say, I'm not leaving you. Have you had that experience with God? Think about the sin that's plaguing you. I'm not leaving you, Yahweh says. Think about what, what the relationships that you've destroyed. I'm not leaving you. Think about the husband or the wife that walked out on you. I'm not leaving you. God is not leaving you. Where you're at, he will continue to be there. Even though Jacob deserves a curse. Even though Jacob has been striving to get all that he can for himself. God says, I'm not leaving you. He says that to Israel. He says, I'm not leaving you. And he says that to you. I'm not leaving you. I am not leaving you. Verse 16 says this. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And what happens when you come to this this place where you kind of lay it on the table, where you just go, All right, I'm a screw-up. I've made a mess of things. And what happens when somebody does something to you, and you say, God, I feel like you're gone from me, and I feel like you're not talking to me, and I feel like you're not there, and I feel like I'm not experiencing you, what's Jacob do? Jacob, in a sense, he goes to church, and we know that church isn't necessarily just a building. It isn't a building at all. It's a group of people. Jacob goes to the house of God, and you should go to the house of God, too. Because when you have this realization of God saying to you, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I will be with you all the way through it. When you finally hear God say that, and you say, God, but my sin, or God, but this happened, or God, you just keep letting tragedy happen in my life. God says, I didn't leave you. I haven't left you. I'm here. I'm with you. And then you can finally experience the presence of God. What does he do? He, he awakes from this and he says, surely the Lord is in this place. Have you ever experienced that before? I was experiencing that this morning as I sat in worship here next to my wife, singing as the band just killed it this morning. Just going, surely the Lord is in this place. It's not because of the subwoofers, although I really like the subwoofers, and it's not because of the great electric guitar riffs, although I love that too, but it is God's people enjoying Enjoying the goodness of the music that he created and we come together and we can praise God together Surely the Lord is in this place and sometimes you and I don't even know it God's already been there He's already here. Have you experienced him? Have you known him God? Are you still there? Heck? Yes, I'm here I've always been here. I didn't leave. Experience my presence. God wants you to experience his presence. But I'm a sinner. Experience his presence. He did not leave you. Verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. And basically, this is when Jacob names that city, and he says, I'm going to make a monument here what God did in my life and you need to do the same. You need to make a monument. If you've never become a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've never put faith in Jesus, the true mediator, he is the one who communicates to us. He is the one who allows us to experience God. If you have never done that before, here's what you can know. You can know that Jesus offers this freely. But the, but And and we place our faith in him and we say yes to jesus. We say jesus. I realize that i'm a sinner I understand that i've sinned against you It's not just that i've sinned against my fellow man But i've sinned against you and we see our sin for what it truly is and we say jesus I need a mediator. I need a sacrifice. I need God I need to somehow be cleansed and jesus is that cleansing jesus is the one who provides it He's the mediator between God and man. He's the one who goes between us. And he is the one who brings forgiveness. But you need to make a monument in that. And that monument is baptism in our day and age. That monument, that, that, that realization of what has taken place in our life is, is baptism. Because baptism shows this, that I'm identifying myself uh, publicly with Jesus Christ. I'm identifying myself as having gone into the grave. The old has gone, the new has come, and I come up out of the water or out of the grave as someone who is cleansed. Now, the water doesn't cleanse me, but what it shows is that I have been cleansed. It's making a monument. So some of you are here today, and you say, yeah, I kind of like God. I kind of have this relationship with God, or I'm an American, so of course I'm a Christian, or something like that. But here's the thing. What you need to know is this, is that you need to take the first step of obedience, which is to be baptized. You need to take that first step of obedience and build a monument in your life there. Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give a full 10th to you. Jacob makes his vow. He makes a vow here. That is based completely on the grace of God. Jacob doesn't deserve it. Jacob doesn't uh, can't earn it. There's nothing that he can do in order to receive God's grace. God has just lavished his grace on him. By allowing him to see his goodness. And hear from God. And so Jacob responds. With this. Instead of ambition. It turns into submission. Instead of trying to find all of the ways that I can fill myself with all of the things of this world, he submits to God. He says, God, if what you're saying is true, if this is really what you're going to do, then here's what I'm going to do. Then you're going to be my God. It goes from ambition to submission. He goes from deceit to dedication. He dedicates himself to God and says, you're my God. You're the one. The only way that you can say, you're my God, is if you've experienced the mercy of God through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And then you get to say, you are my God. I see your mercy there. I see what you've done. And you can respond by dedicating yourself to God. Lying becomes love. And Gridanus again says this, Jacob turns from a grabber to a giver. He says, I'm going to give you a full tenth of everything that I own. Abraham had done the same thing when he met the priest uh, Melchizedek. Gives Gives him a tenth instead of taking stuff from the king of Sodom. Do you remember that story? Do you see what happens when we experience God's grace? It changes us. It changes us from people who have been about all of our own things. And this happens progressively. It's not instantaneous, but it changes us from being somebody who says, I I need to go after, I need to get all of this stuff. The grace of Jesus Christ comes to us and it releases us from the need to have to manage, to have to control, and to have to make happen. And it changes our heart. And this is what happens to Jacob. As Jacob's heart is softened, softened. And he says, the Lord shall be my God. And I want to give. I want to give back to God of everything that I have. Ultimately, because he's saying this, God has given all of this to me. This is the response that he has to the gospel. And it is amazing. Now think about this for just a second in Matthew 1 22 and 23 the angel comes and says behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means god with us that's jesus and then secondly is this is when jesus goes through his ministry goes through his life he is crucified He's risen from the grave, and just before he ascends to heaven, he says to his disciples, he says this, to all of those who have received mercy through the cross, he says this, I I want you to go, and I want you guys to make disciples of everyone in all of these nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I want you to teach them to observe all that I commanded you, and as long as you do that, then I'll be with you. That's, That's actually a lie. That's not what God says. God says this, everybody who's experienced the grace of God, everyone who sees how amazing he is, is going to be able to act on this and to say, I want to make disciples. I want to baptize them. I want to teach them to be obedient to God because I want to be obedient to God. And what what is Jesus as God? What is his promise to them next? It is not as long as you do this, then I'll be with you. It is, and behold, I'm with you always. Even to the end of the age, men and women, Jesus is with you to the end of the age. No matter where you have been, no matter what you have done, you can receive Jesus Christ as Savior right here and right now. Jesus is with you all throughout your Christianity, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter matter how many relationships you've cratered, no matter how many times you have screwed things up, Jesus is with you even to the end of the age. He is God with us. He is the fulfillment of the promise that he gave back in Genesis chapter 3.15 and then again to Abraham, and here we are in Jacob's life. I am with you. I am not leaving you. God, are you still there? The answer is, He absolutely is. And He lavishes His mercy and His grace on you. Won't you let Him? Let's pray. Oh Jesus, I... Uh, I think that there's probably a lot of us in this room right now that can identify with the idea of feeling like maybe God is not listening to me right now because I because I sinned or maybe God is not with me right now because of this. But Lord God, we see your promise that you are with us. Lord, you made that promise to Jacob knowing everything that would go on in his life as an imperfect human being. Lord, you made that promise to the disciples who were still human beings who were still sinful people, and you declared, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that we'd look to you as as our avenue into relationship with God, with you, what you've done for us, your crucifixion. Lord, your burial and your resurrection are so meaningful to us. We can witness your mercy in and then through that. So, Lord, this morning I pray that we would relive that as we go to your table and as we uh, think about how you have died for us on the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen.